welcome to Two Men on the Run. And today, I thought I'd get my uh, own back on my co-host here, John Joe, as uh, I'm sure if you've been listening to the last couple of shows, he's had a, a nice bit of attack on my uh, performances and races. So uh, I thought we'd um, we'd have a look now, as it's he's come to his end of season break. He's having a, a week off of running, and I just want to ask him, end of season break, an end of season break for what season? He's not run. He's not done anything. He's done one race all season. We went into a pandemic and he dropped all his mileage down just to tick over, which, you know, it's a sensible idea when we had no idea what was coming. But then he's not gone into any races and now he's taking an end of season break. I mean, I just I just don't get it. The races are all here now. They're all ready to be done. And he's, he's, he's having a lie down on the couch. Well, that's quite something, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not having a, a break next month? I will, after the oh. end of my season, when I've had one. Because <laughs> I've got a marathon to come, I've done my half, I've done a 10k, I've had a 5k in there, which obviously didn't go to plan, but uh, there'll have been a season there for me. What What is a se- season? I mean, I know you, you, you're pulling my leg, but what what is a season? You've got to have races, haven't you, to, to qualify a season? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think um, you know. Yeah, that, that's it. You've got to, you've been training um, in the build up towards a race, and then towards a series of races. You've got your races in there, and then obviously by the end of it, you're sort of coming down off the off the back of it because to really race and put the quality into those races, you've had to taper into them and things like that. And so you're coming off the back end of the season where you're tired and things like that. So you take an end of season break. Um, Obviously, you're now in the point where all the, the races are. They're all coming up now. The, you know, there's 10Ks every weekend coming around. There's, um, you know, there's a couple of five-milers. You know, there's a, a really good one up in Leeds this weekend um, that's been hailed as a good field and stuff like that. And so the races are all coming. And obviously, I know understandably you... you um, you're, you and your, and, your, and your, your group, your training group, sort of, as we went into the pandemic and into the sort of lockdown, sensibly really decided to sort of back off a little bit because there was no, you know, sight of, of when races might come back and when we, they might appear. Um, and so you dropped your mileage down a little bit to sort of tick over just to do what you needed to do to stay fit, um, but without pushing it too much to be, you know, cause any injuries or anything like that. But now, obviously, you know, we, 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 we saw that races were coming back sort of end of August. We're through September now. We're heading into October. Races are still here on the calendar. And, uh, yeah, you're taking a, a, an end-of-season break. And I'm just wondering, what's the, the rationale around that sort of thing? And surely now should be, you know, firing all cylinders, ready to go, get in these races, see what that fitness you ticked over with and stuff like that is done for you. And, um, you know, make sure that, your times aren't getting beaten by uh, the Striders uh, course record holders and stuff like that now. <laughs> <laughs> he talks a good game, this man. Um, what I'd like to say to him. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure where to start, really, with all that. Because it's nonsense, isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, really, the reason I... I was encouraged to drop the mileage ever so slightly. Of course, there were no races, you know, that was one point, but it wasn't just that. Um, it was a, an introduction of more quality, more quality sessions, more speed work. Um, and by introducing them on, on a higher mileage or the mileage that I was working towards, perhaps 
was unnecessary due to the fact that there were no races, and there haven't been really, have there, you know, for seven, eight months. Uh, for me anyway, the last race I ran, where I felt it was an actual race, and it not waves, I mean, because that's not, that's not a race for me. Waves of, you know, that's a swimming bet. The, for me, a race is where everybody, you know, just collectively shoots off at the start, you know, and yeah, you have a good field and you have people who, who are, you know, charging ahead and then they die a death and whatnot. But this is, this is what naturally what I've felt, you know, and St. Helens 10K was actually the last time I felt like that. And I've only been involved in one race since then. And that was the mid Cheshire, which the guys I'm sure did very well in organizing. But for me, it was a bit of a nonsense, the whole thing. Just not, not that that was the way they had to set it up, but it didn't work for me. It didn't feel, I don't think people knew what they were doing. Okay. If you, if you're off at the front, perhaps that's different, you know, and, some very very fast people there and um it didn't really feel like a race why have a break well i'm following the guidance of the coach tony clark and he's he's a very good geezer he's got a lot of experience and i've never had a break before i think that's the question we maybe we should be asking why in in all the years of and I'm relatively new to the sport in all the other clubs that i've been in, involved in has there not been a set period of time, a break? And we're only talking a week, that's all. Um, I think this week is a traditional week where it would be set in this particular time. Um, and I, I'm, I got um, word through there from Patsy McGonagall over in, in Ireland, the former Irish Olympic team captain, couple of cross-country events at the beginning of November for me, which for Finn Valley and wearing the county colours of Donegal, that would be something really would get my teeth into, you know. And then a couple of days later, it's now um, we're in the position where it's quest questionable because of new restrictions. Of course, the north west of England, um, I don't really follow the news, but... I, th I believe we're in a, a semi-lockdown at the moment. Again, is that right, Matthew? Yeah, well, here, here in Merseyside um, and bits of Lancashire and obviously Greater Manchester has already been um, in a, a sort of lockdown uh, for the, the last sort of month or so, really, uh, sort of semi-lockdown. Um, it's basically mostly the, the pubs and stuff like that have to close at 10pm, but that's been rolled out across the, the whole of the country now. Um, and, uh, yeah, you shouldn't be in other people's houses. But uh, you, you, Listen, you ask a good question because I asked that question myself. I, I mean, Ron Hill, when did he ever have a week off? You know, you ask these these questions. Um, I mean, Ron's quite good in, in, in his book. I yeah. suppose some of the, 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 the guys' books that you've, you've been reading probably don't... Um, Similar to, you know, you think of the TV and movies and stuff like that. You never see them go in the toilet, but they must go to the toilet in the middle of the... Yeah. You know, at some point during those huge big action sequences, they've got to go to the loo, you know, or have some yeah. food or something. Yeah. Um, and in the same regard, you know, those guys that were training have got to have some sort of break in there because they sound mm. like they're, they're hammering it all the time. Um, I mean, Ron's book, and the reason it's split up into two, two books is because he didn't want to leave a single detail out. Um, so he does discuss where he's got his breaks and he, okay. he goes away and things like that. Um, 
And yet he ran every day for 40 years, but of course a run could be just a jog down the road. Oh yeah, he used to just do, you know, a lot of that that's, is, um, that's is very like, much... That's like me getting on my bicycle and charging. Yeah, and just going out for a bit and... Round for a bit of shopping or whatever, yeah. you know. Um, that's not necessarily a run really, although it can be classed as one. It's not really a training session, is it? No. I remember I remember my uh, one of my old training partners, Dave Forrester, always, uh, used to say to me, because I used to do a... Uh, there's a, there was a little like two and a half mile loop I used to go on sometimes, and um, he used to tell me that's not a run. When I used to count that as part of my mileage, he used to say that's not a run. Mm. Anything anything under three miles isn't a run. You can't count that. You could say anything. That's what he used to say. As a marathon <laughs> as a marathon runner, perhaps it's a good idea for you to think about. Um, you don't need any good ideas because you're quite an extremist anyway. But um, <laughs> an hour, nothing less than an hour, is is a run. You know, running for an hour at least. Um, yeah. yeah, possibly. Like, do you yeah. think about that? Do you think about? Um, yeah, like, well, you, a, you break it up, don't you? So you have your, your sort of your lighter sessions in the morning. Maybe it's more of a stretch. It's not really a session. No, it's just and then, a, you, it's, then you have your session in the evening. Yeah, it's just sort of more of a, a tick over and get the legs moving and mm. things like that. Um, you know, and they'll be sort of that three mile to five mile sort of run, and then obviously my evening run will be the, the longer sort of. But you see, uh, for me, for me, going back to this question. Um, the coach obviously um, has a set. You know, he's got a, he's got a group, a big group, a big sort of positive group of people, and there's a week off. You know, and you can't like I've had the Spanish flu this last week, and um, 1918. Yeah, the, yeah, not the Spanish flu. I've had a common cold. I think that's what it was. I was very poorly, and I've missed most of last week with this common cold. But as the coach says, stated to me, you know, the week off, it's set in stone. You don't like, because you've been ill, you don't miss your week off. You know, you still have your week off. And I spoke with Patsy as well, you know, the experience of Patsy with Sonia O'Sullivan and whatnot. And no, you you have this week. And, and this is all new to me because I've never had a week off. Um you, you reset, you recharge. I think maybe it's the psychology of it. I think Tony mentioned yeah, that. that. Tony mentioned the psychology yeah. well, of that, that's, stepping back. Yeah, and that's it. And um, I mean, but usually, you know, you, you do it after you've had a full season, a hard season where you feel fed up of running, really. Um, Jade, at the moment, is also having her, her end of season break. Um, she's had a track season. Um, and in, in, in hindsight, me and Ray have both looked at back at it. Um, and we both think, you know, there was mistakes made from our part where the, um, obviously COVID came in, track races were cancelled, we didn't know when the track season was coming in. Um, so Jade went back and she did sort of seven, 60, 70 mile weeks um, through April, um, which was, you know, as high as she's ever sort of been. And that was really good training. Uh, and then we came into May and we started to think, well, actually, you know, it looks like things are maybe getting a little better. Um, maybe track races will be back start of July or end of July sort of period. Um, let's let's start building and start progressing towards them and and get yourself get Jade fit ready for that. Um, sadly, the track race we 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 estimated wrong there, and the track races didn't come back till really uh, the the um, the start of uh, or the end of August sort of period, mid August. Um, and yeah, Jade probably peaked probably a month too soon. So when her races did come round, she was in that state where she was still in good in good shape, but she was coming off the back of that sort of, um, I suppose, 
you know, bending the curve, um, top of the curve, coming down well, off the off the peak of that. What um, is this? Sorry to interrupt me before you you move on. What what is it to peak? Because I, I've never quite understood that term. You know, peak. I mean, yeah, you're very very best, but if you're in good shape, you're always going to be. You know, it's like a I don't know a footballer. At his peak, you know, you have your best game ever, but you have your best season or you, your peak, you know. You, what, what does it mean to you? What does that mean? That, what does that word mean to you? I think um, it's it, obviously football is, a, is, a, is another area. It's very different because um, it's the team, the team sport of it. So you could technically, you, you could have a player. It's that, not it, really. It is, it is at the peak it's of not business, re- but are they... Um, but they're sort of supported by the rest of the team, or they could be not at their peak, and they could be quite under under well, fitness, really. But do, they're carried by the team. I do apologise. Football is not really. No, a, it's not really a sport. Really, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not really a sport. It's a game. That's why they say the yeah. be- it's a game. I mean, you when you look around the pitch, there's a lot of guys just standing around, and um, fitness levels. I would argue, I don't even need to argue really. If you, it's quite obvious they're not half as. You know, fitness levels for footballers. I mean. I recall Roy Keane, I was a big fan, Keane, and he was up and down the pitch from, from centre. Um, but even so, you know, it's it, there's only so much running involved, you know. There's periods where, if you look, because obviously the camera, it just hones in on the ball. You step back and you look at a football match and you see guys with their hands on their hips. It's only 90 minutes anyway, you know, uh, with breaks. So football's the wrong sport to compare. Uh, running is different. Yeah. Talk about the peak. Yeah, please. so, so I mean, the peak is obviously, you know, in a season, you sit down with your coach at the start of the season and you'll map out what your, you know, what your main targets are. Is it a championship race? Is it, um, you know, is it just a, a certain time on the track or on the road or something like that that you want to try and achieve that season? And if, it is, if it's just a time sort of um, a time that's your target and your goal, then obviously you're going to sort of look, well, how you know what training do we need to put in to be able to achieve that time? So how many weeks of training do we need to get to sort of get into a place where um, we've got um, sort of the right mileage behind? So you're talking maybe five, ten k sort of distance. You know how much mileage is is going to be suitable to build the base on? Then obviously there's an element of speed as well in those distances. So okay, then from on top once we've built that base, we then need to put in a certain set of weeks that are then building on the speed endurance, um, and then even on top of that then right at the very end just before you, you your main sort of race season is going to come in where you've you've uh, you've spotted a couple of races that are going to be quick courses and they always get good fields or something like that um you're then going to pick um you're going to work on that that real fine tuning of speed um just to make sure you've got a final kick you you can get off quick at the start um and things like that and so you you, you your whole season is going to be built around trying to target um, a set a set period um, within the year where you're going to go and race at your, and that's where you're going to be at your peak of fitness the top of your fitness in that year now there's not not to say that in between that there's not going to be phases where you're going to be you're going to be really fit um, but there's a there's a there's a if you've got a plan in place for training you're ideally you're aiming for that one that one sort of period of time where you've you know spotted some races and things like that or championship whatever it is um, and that's what you're aiming to peak for now you know you get it sometimes you and coaches and, and stuff like that can get it wrong and you can peak too early or you can peak a little bit later than where you you were hoping for and things like that 
Um, but if you look at well, what, I, what I don't uh, appreciate, it, and it's a, it's a good idea, but let's say you peak for a particular race, everything goes to plan, and you execute this, this, and you are in the peak. Right, the next week, your your body is still physically as fit as it was the week before, is it not? You know what I mean? It de- well, depending on the distance. Um, so if you were so for you you're know, still capable. A track, a no? track runner, a, a track runner, fifteen hundred meters, five k, even ten k, sort of track runner, and, and obviously the shorter distances as well. Um, yeah, you will peak for. It won't be just for the one race. It will be for a, a slight period. Obviously, if we're talking, let's say the top level, Olympians, Olympics, all stuff like that. So your peak there is the Olympics. That's what you're peaking for. Now, obviously, within that, you've got to qualify for the Olympics. You've got to put in some other good performances. So you've got a bit of a, you you know, your, your trials, the UK trials are usually about a month or so before the Olympics. So you're basically going to try and carry that peak, just starting to, to edge up the, the climb of the, of the peak. If we say it was on a graph and it's a, your bell curve, um, you're just going to start to edge on that, that bell curve um, at the very, where the trials are so that you can make sure you win the trials, guarantee your selection. You've already, you know, you hit the qualifying time. So there you go, you're, you're, in, you're in selection, you know you go in the Olympics. Obviously then you want that very top of that bell curve, that real peak of it, to be the Olympic final. So then those last, that last sort of four weeks before the Olympics is where you're really doing that fine tuning, getting all the little little tiny bits of speed and everything like that right. Um, you know, making sure you, you, your body's recovering properly and things like that um, to ready to go and and perform at the very top of your, your peak. Now, obviously, if you're doing a marathon and your plan is to peak for a marathon, once you've done that marathon, your body the f- next week isn't in the same shape because it's going to take you a good you know week or two to really sort of recover from the, st- the strain of that 26.2 mile at that top peak. Um, now, you know, there's plenty of, we talk about Ron Hill and we've, there's cases where Ron would do a marathon and the next, you know, the next day or so go and do something else and things like that. But if you look at his marathon time in that one where he ran it, he would never have run. It was never his best time. It was always a little bit off. So, and then to put it, I suppose, put it into perspective of for, for a personal example, the Tour of Merseyside. Um, I know we've talked about it before. I did the Southport half marathon and I ran 70 minutes. Now that's a good half marathon time, but that's a good five minutes. Well, it was at the time it was a good three minutes behind what my personal best was. So. I did enough to win. I won by about four minutes in the race. What was your time, sorry? 70, 70, 30, something like that. Yeah. So it was a good three minutes or so behind my personal best. It was enough to win the race by about four minutes. But it's at not- the same time, yeah. it was sort of, it was enough off the bat. You know, I was, I was, I'd stepped off the gas a little bit because I knew I then had another five races to do across the rest of the week and I didn't want to go and blow myself up doing that one race. Are you able to step off the gas? Yeah, so I was just able to step off the gas, just do enough to take the win, do enough to sort of get that and do that performance, um, you know, break the course record, which is what I wanted to sort of do and things like that. But obviously, you know, step off the gas and just, you know, get get the win, do it, but not damage myself for the races coming up the rest of the week. Um, the Tour of Merseyside, isn't that a money racket? <laughs> Everyone, everyone knows John Joe it is because you've told him num- numerous times. And, uh, you can, everyone can listen to my defence in previous podcasts. <laughs> I've finished Charlie Spedding's book. What a, an amazing read. Um, I believe that your mother is also reading the book. Yeah, my mum's reading it at the what, moment. What are her thoughts and feelings about the book so, so um, far? So, so far. far, so far, yeah. Uh, so she... 
she was really enjoying it when I, um, by it the way the, the book itself is called because people who, who are unaware stop feeding us lies stop feeding us lies yeah and uh, it's all about diet and, and whatnot go ahead sorry yeah yeah so um yeah she, she only started reading it yesterday to be fair but she's a quick quick reader um so it was we had a it was, yeah, it was relatively busy but still sort of quiet at times in the shop so she was reading it while she was uh, in the shop yesterday and um what was really interesting to her was obviously everything that charlie's sort of saying is is it makes a lot of sense and um, he's backed it up with a, with a lot of science um, and a lot of science that's sort of provided from sources with you know huge um sort of studies and things like rather than the evidence that he's showing um that that has been used to back up things like eating you know really high carbohydrates and things diets and things like that or you should have statins because that lowers cholesterol and things um those studies have sort of been you know, either small, you know, small sample sizes, and then they've been used, or they've been manipulated in the results and stuff like that to sort of show what the uh, researchers wanted to show. Um, whereas the 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 evidence that Charlie sort of gathered is from um, you know huge sort of studies that have, have ranged um, and things like that, and a lot more well, let's evidence not, to let's it. Let's not forget he was a pharmacist, and he was yeah. So his background and his father for yeah. decades, and he turned away from Western medicine really, believing that people weren't just weren't getting getting any better. Yeah, and I think I think. I mean, again, this is this is I've not read it yet. Um, I've lent it to my mum to read. So, um, she was saying how when he went to, for his testing, um, he he was he, everything came back. His health check all came back all positive. Um, he was all you know good. It was you know his cholesterol wasn't that high or anything like that. But then the um, the nurse or the do- I presume it was the doctor. The doctor came back and said, um, right, I'll, I'll give you a prescription for for statins, um, of which he was sort of why do I need them? You've just said everything's everything's good and things. And obviously as a pharmacist, he knew what statins did and the side effects and everything like that. Um, and then sort of that that was the sort of turning point for him a little bit, I think, from from gathering what my mum was telling me when she was reading that bit because that bit stood out for her because she was put on statins um, because she was told her cholesterol was high. Yes. And um, so she's been reading it and she's actually thinking, well, she never wanted to be on statins. She didn't like the idea of taking statins. And people who are on statins get told to go on them um, and are on them for the, the rest of their life, basically. Um, well, my, my father, you know, I've, I shouldn't do this, but I've advised him to stop taking his statins, you know, um... And I know Charlie wouldn't agree with that, but I've not. I've advised him to to. Having read the book, so passionate about, it just makes so much sense. And my father, you know, um, he's he's mentioned um, forgetfulness and stuff like that. There's a huge link there between statin use and dementia and Alzheimer's. Of course, they don't want to talk about that because the statin drug itself has made more money, I believe, than any other drug. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is very interesting. And they're medicating the well. Uh, my father is working. He he recovered from a stroke many, many years ago. People would, wouldn't, wouldn't be aware of that, really. But um, um, I advise him certainly to think about his diet. I mean, he's got this plant spread, you know, this, um, it's got emulsifier, all sorts of, um, additives in in the spread, and it's, it says on it lowers cholesterol. You know, this idea that cholesterol is a bad thing. According to Charlie, we can have 
high levels of cholesterol and, and be very healthy. It doesn't really impact on heart disease, which is the, the huge connection here is between high cholesterol and heart disease. And yet those studies which have, have shown that really haven't shown that. And what causes heart disease is perhaps um, other factors, um, high sugar levels, carbohydrate, high sugar, um, and, and then resistance, insulin resistance, leading to diabetes and obesity and whatnot. Um, so he thinks about things very differently. And finally, on a sort of a, a whimsical note, my grandfather, who's 98, and he, he has his mind. Oh, my God, he does. Yeah. Um, he cooks everything in lard, you know. And, um, you know, I, I just recall over the years, you know, family looking in. Uh, you know, the educated new looking in on my old grandfather and myself and thinking, well, God, that's not going to do you any good, is it, you know? Cause, but... Thank God he had the sense not to listen to anybody. <laughs> and that's probably why he's still living. <laughs> and it's true because when you do start to lower the cholesterol, I think the really interesting thing is for me that the brain is made up of 25% of your body's cholesterol. So if you take a drug that reduces the cholesterol levels in your body, reduces cholesterol in your brain potentially and that's where I'd suggest maybe there could be a link I think there is a link and um, perhaps people who are making money don't want us to know and they don't know themselves perhaps they've been brainwashed themselves into believing that this stuff works but we have a freedom we have a freedom of choice and I think natural foods beef dripping lard cooking in olive oil in, and, and getting rid of the seed oils. Rapeseed oil is an interesting one because I remember reading something in the paper or some, somewhere and it said, rapeseed oil maintains its nutritional value over olive oil when heated, whereas olive oil do, diminishes. According to Charlie, these seed oils are absolutely against our system. Vegetable oils, for example, are not even from vegetables from the seed and it's an industrial type of um, extraction process which I think only started in 1911 in terms of evolution and what our body's used to Charlie talks about thousands hundreds of thousands of years and what our body is used to and what ultimately get the best from our body and um, vegetables and veganism you see it's about the when you talk about ethics because that's a separate question when you churn up these monocrops, churn up all the land, has a detri detrimental effect on the birds, on the hedges, the bees. The, 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 there's, there's also a, a huge cost, and there's a cost in, in just being a human being, really. Um, but it's not that straightforward. And I think people in the 20s, in the third, up to 30s and whatnot, tend to be on the st stats... Um, Vegans, vegetarianisms, you know, and they, they want to change the world. They want to be, but they also have the highest amount of depression, mental health problems. Um, and it could well be associated with diet and not getting the right nutrients into the body. The B12 vitamin, B12, which you can't really get from, from a plant-based 
diet, although you can get it, it, it doesn't really, it's not in the same concentrate. Uh, supplementation. Um, finally, um, listen, I don't know the detail because I'm not, I've never been, sadly, I, you know, but Charlie does, and in the book, um, I've read, I get a broad understanding of, um, of, of going back to basics, really. And, um, yeah, it's interesting that, that that depression and mental health and issues along the, the, those younger period of time, and then when you in, then you think, well, dementia. Hang on, that's a different type of mental health problem. It affects the old people. Just assume degeneration, but it could be um, other factors. And um, very very interesting stuff. And I'd certainly recommend the book. Stop feeding us lies, but they won't. They won't. You gotta. You gotta investigate yourself educate yourself and read up about it and form your own opinions and and do what you can to to help the people around you and in in small ways that's the only way i think we can change society progressively in many other areas it's it's through those small uh, social groups and then big business maybe wake up i don't think so they're always going to look for the cheapest alter and, and, and cereals are another one. Um, but Matthew, please stop me from, because I just don't know when to stop. <laughs> yeah, got Cereals, do you know who invented cereals? I don't know. Uh, Kellogg? John, John yeah, Kellogg? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know a bit about the guy, actually, because it's in the book and it's, it's really interesting. And No spoilers. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> I won't spoil it because it's another story, you know. It's another story, but very funny why he introduced why this thing was it was introduced to get rid of nutrition from the diet to stop people being so passionate to stop their arousal because he he was quite a religious um, doctor and uh, he didn't want people having sex, you know, right. and he wanted to to reel out this this cereal which which had no nutrition whatsoever, Kellogg's, you know, which it still doesn't, by the way. And um, his brother was a businessman. He said, well, can't we put some sugar in it? Because people eat it then, you know, and buy it. He said, no, 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 no. Because they'll get horny. <laughs> anyway, his brother had his way, and he put some sugar in. And then this idea of fortifying these, these uh, there's more nutrition in the cardboard box than the actual cereal. And yeah, we feed that stuff to all our children, you know, schools. And you think, hang on a second. Let's just think about this. Why not give them some eggs? Yeah, some eggs. Now there's something that's really nutritious. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew. <laughs> so I'm reading uh, Ambie Burfoot now. Um, this is the new book and uh, it's a collection by the Honourable Matthew Crane um, Crane Crane say, and, uh, been, how long have you been friends with me still can't say my surname and it's Irish heritage as well so he, get, he, you see, get he, get, right. he gets very upset <laughs> but you see I was pronouncing it correctly originally and then he corrected me you know and then I've got yeah, mixed up because that's what I do. <laughs> forgive me, forgive me. You know, we're all human beings. We all get mixed up. 
Um, in Ambi's book, it's it's not really a book, this thing, really, because it's so small, and even some of the pages, there's not much writing on. Um, there's a bit of philosophy in there on, on uh, The Runner's Guide to the Meaning of Life by Ambi Bur Burfoot, who won the Boston Marathon in 1968. And uh, he won it when, really... He got very little acclaim for it. He walked back into his classroom and, and nobody said anything to him. Um, it was quite a different time. And and um, just before the boom. Yeah. Before the boom, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because the boom sort of came round uh, after 72 in Munich, in, in America anyway, uh, with Frank Shorter uh, winning winning gold in, in Munich in the marathon. And that sort of had that marathon boom out in the in the USA. Um, what can you tell me about Emil... Zatopek. Zatopek. Yeah. yeah. 1952. Did he have a week off? Um, he probably he probably did. Um, it's been a while since I've I've read read his books. To be fair, um, I've got I think I've got four books on Zatopek. Um, they're um, he's an extremely interesting character, and and when the um, a lot of people talk about you know the greatest distance runners of all time, and obviously. Um, you know the one everyone thinks of at the moment is Kipchoge with the the sub two hour marathon and things like that, and obviously, um, and then there's Kenny Sibikili as well, who was the world record holder over the five thousand on the track, the ten thousand on the track, moved up to the marathon and and finished just two seconds behind um, Kipchoge's own world record uh, back in Berlin uh, last year, um, and so they're they're going to battle it out in in, in London on the fourth of October. Um, which would be very interesting, um, and then obviously again, it's the likes of Haile Gabriel Selassie is another another famous name. Um, he has held the five, the ten, and the marathon world record at previous times, and hailed as you know a great success. Some people, um, especially British um, fans of athletics, will put the the handle on Mo Farah as being the one of the greatest distance runners of all time because of his numerous uh, Olympic golds and. Uh, and world championship goals and things like that, and double across the five and ten. Um, I I I wouldn't because I think his success over at the marathon distance doesn't hasn't really appeared. He's a good, obviously, British record holder for the marathon, but um, he's not had that same success. And and his his world records that he's had have been at sort of obscure distances rather than things. But getting back to Emil, um, he was and and for me, I think he is the the, the greatest distance runner of all time. Um, and this is because of, of, of one feat that he did um, at the Olympic Games, which was to win the gold medal in the 5,000 metres, the 10,000 metres and the marathon, all in one Olympics. Um, and he's the only athlete ever to do that. Um, there is a couple that have tried. Um, I think the schedule now probably doesn't allow it too much, to be fair. Um, but um, he's the only one to ever have done it. Um, and he'd never run a marathon before as well. Um, that was his first, he might have run one in training maybe, I don't know, but that was his first ever marathon that he raced. Um, he basically, he, the team had entered him for it and it was just going to be how he felt after the 5 and 10. And um, yeah, he, he decided he wanted to have a go at it. And there's a famous sort of quote from uh, Jim Peters, who was the, the top British marathon runner at the time, who was uh, who was the favourite for the win. He was, he was the favourite for the win. Um, and... Uh, they were running side by side, um, Emil uh, and, and, and Peters, and Emil turns to him and just sort of says, um, it feels a bit slow, this, Peter. 
Um, should we, you know, should we pick it up a bit? And uh, and that's it. Peter just sort of threw his hand in and, and gave up on the on the on the race, and 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 uh, Emil went on and, and won it. Um, I just meant to you know this little iconic sort of um, moment. I think it's been probably Hollywoodized a, a little bit with um, as the stories have uh, has grown and stuff. Similar to how you know there's stories about um, Zatopek training um, in the winter in his army boots, carrying his wife on his shoulders um, through the woods as they as they ran um, as resistance and weight training sort of stuff. Um, there was a, a one of the books that I read um, said that they'd done a lot of interviews with um, Emil's wife, which was uh, Dana, who was herself an Olympic gold medalist as well in the javelin, um, and and I think she was the world record holder as well. Um, but don't quote me on that one. Um, at the time, so um, yeah, she sort of said that, that that never really happened. That was sort of the the folklore of of Zasapek, to be fair. Um, but he did, you know, go running. Um, um, in his army boots and things that that was stuff he did but yeah carrying his wife he might have carried her when they were out on a walk one time or something like that and someone saw it and it became part of this this folklore and mystery around around this this amazing athlete um whose story is is i'm amazed has never been made into a, a hollywood film in all fairness because uh it's it's definitely worthy of of that maybe we could do that sometime matthew in the future what make a hollywood film yeah why oh, not? maybe yeah yeah why not why not <laughs> why not you know um, this guy was you know he's running around with his wife on uh, on his shoulders I will quote you on it <laughs> <laughs> um, is that something you would recommend um, <laughs> it worked for him I suppose um, if he did it um, but um, I don't know I mean you know it was, it was um I think Zatabek's way of training is 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 pretty brutal stuff. Some of the stuff he did, um, he was in his in most of the stuff his runs that he did was in his his army his army boots, his heavy army boots rather than lightweight trainers as as we run in nowadays. So, um, is that something you would also recommend? And if so, why are you not selling army boots? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. To be fair, maybe maybe it's something to investigate. Uh, looking at, I, I can't see there being that many. Of our customers in Ferris coming in and and saying uh, I'll have those army boots to run in um, over some of the other shoes, but I mean you could have. maybe maybe that's the difference between um, as to be fair I always say that I always say that the difference between some of the guys back in the day um, the training they did and things like that and today I, I, you know I think I think as runners today are a, a bit soft really mm. um, you know not not only sort of obviously running in army boots maybe isn't the the most sensible thing from a, a science standpoint on how it affects your feet and things like that. Well, what but, was the reason for that? Sorry, because... Um, because they were heavier. Um, that, they were heavier, yeah. so they're on the foot. So obviously when he did drop into his spikes and things like that, he had this really lightweight sort of... Uh, so you know. his, obviously th- his thinking on that was, you know, running with weights and, and whatnot. Are you a fan of that, you know, carrying weights and, and strapping weights onto the body? Um, I, To be fair, I am a little bit... Um, not not necessarily like you know get an actual you know actual weights and strap them onto the body and things like that but um i always used to feel really fit when i used to run to work with a rucksack on which wouldn't be you know overly heavy but um usually it'd have me change of clothes in uh, me work shoes and stuff like that in uh, a book um which i'd be reading um if i decide to get the bus home or something like that rather than, than, than run a 20 mile day that day um 
10 miles to work. 10 miles to work, and then it would have been a 10 mile home. So I'd, I'd, sometimes, you know, I didn't want to do that every day. That's Newtonley Willows to Manchester. Uh, no, it was Newtonley Willows to Rainford. Oh, Rainford, sorry. Yeah, yeah, 10 yeah. miles, yeah, yeah. And you felt you f- at your fittest? Uh, I don't, well, no, I feel at my fittest nowadays, but I, I felt there was a bit more, maybe a little bit more strength. And I can get that that process where, um, you know, Zatapet ran in, in these heavy boots and then into these tra- lightweight track spikes. Um, you know, some sort of difference to it. I can see that when, when I used to wear the rucksack and then drop, you know, take go and do a run without the rucksack. It felt so much, everything felt so much lighter. The, my frame, my form felt so much lighter because I trained with that extra weight on me. Um, so is this a psychological thing? Possibly, possibly. Pa- partly? Partly. partly. Um, I mean, obviously you are carrying do, extra weight. so that Do that any happens. of the top runners uh, use any of this? Not that I know of. I haven't seen... Um, many of them I haven't seen anyone sort of do it I've not seen any you know videos or anything of, of Kipchoge and he's they, you know they promote a lot of training videos and stuff like that um, I haven't seen him use anything or or any of the um, the, the other sort of YouTube uh, videos I watch I know I watch the, the North Arizona Elite uh, squad quite a bit um, I've never seen any of them sort of train like that and that's not to say they don't but uh, I haven't seen any of it to be fair and I've not really read any mention of it in any of the, the books I've ever Okay. The red really apart from apart from sort of that sort of stuff yes. yeah we're a lot of guys of that era as well really because a lot of them did they were um, sort of in the army and things as a as a career because it gave them a bit of freedom to train tell me what happened with him finally in regards was it 1976 you it was a standoff between him and the russians right yeah so um the, yeah so um we're talking um coming into the sort of Cold War era um, and yeah the Czech Republic um, uh, it was Czechoslovakia at the time um, Russia had uh, Russia invaded and um, well it wasn't Russia was it U- USSR yeah USSR yeah. Say, yeah. Um, invaded um, and Zatopek being in the army and being um, he, was, he was quite high up in the army through his, his athletic performance and things and being promoted Um but he um, and he, he what year he was, was quite that? Beh- he was quite what, behind what, what the. What year was that? Um, oh, it's okay. It's Sorry, off, off my yeah. head. It's, uh, it's like okay. Quite okay. a few years since I've read the books now. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, he was um, quite high up in the army. He was actually quite a um, a fan of the um, communism um, philosophy and of, of communism and, and the regime. He didn't like um, the manipulation of communism from. Uh, the USSR's standpoint and the way they were manipulating it to feed power and control and things like that. But the actual ideology um, of communism, he, he, he very much um, thought was a, a good thing. I suppose similar to um, the likes of, of Jeremy Cor- Corbyn's sort of um, ideology of, of quite, you know, that communism sort of thing in there. But it's the ideology of it and not maybe what we as a Western society have been led to believe communism is from what we've been taught and perceived of, of that sort of control and and uh, sort of military style sort of state that that a lot of the the um, communism sort of countries and things like that, that that have been or are still in the world um, sort of seem to follow. But um, yeah, so uh, the the USSR invade uh, Czechoslovakia as it is at the time, and um, well, for what reason are they going in there? Is this just before they take? Are they taking control of? Yeah, they're taking control of uh, um, Czechoslovakia um, and then a couple of the other 
countries around the Ukraine and things like that. When they they've all have they not already got control? Well, they're, they're under a yeah, they're, they're sort of under that sort of group of that communism sort of mm. state and area sort of thing. Yes. Um, but they they yeah they invade and um, they send the tanks into Prague, and yeah, there's there's this meant to be this this famous sort of uh, moment where um, Zatopek um, goes and stands in front of one of the tanks, um, sort of. Uh, uh, sort of gunpoints and um, shouts at the Russians to get out of his country and, and, and leave um, leave them alone sort of thing and uh, he was he was arrested mm. and there is um, there's again there's missed stories of where and what where he was sent to a, a lot of um, high profile sort of um, officials and 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 um, so they'd be celebrities nowadays, wouldn't they? But you know, people in in Czechoslovakia and things like that, in the government and things, or just um, you know, people who were who were trying to fight for for their rights and things like that were put into um, like uranium mines and stuff like that, and made to to to, um, to mine uranium and things for the USSR and stuff. Um, and that was one of the myths is that that's where. Um, Zatopek was put and he was he was held there as a prisoner and made to mine um, there. But um, another one is that basically he was sort of he was sort of shunned from um, the sort of society that he'd been part of and he was sent off and he worked as a labourer um, on like uh, the railways and things like that and his medals and his, his rank in the army and everything was stripped from him and things and for a good while he, he disappeared and from society and things like that and was that was where he was and it was more obviously he was he was forced to sort of have his medals stripped from him and all things like that but it was more his choice to sort of then go and hide out of the way to keep both his you know himself and and Dana and things like that alive really because there was a lot of people being being killed and things like that as well who were being outspoken and and standing up and things like that um, and obviously he was a, a high profile um individual who who was being um outspoken and things like that against the, the new regime and and what happened to him then? We don't know. Is that what you're saying? We we don't. He never came back. He no, he, he he did, he did come back, and um, yeah, a lot of these books are then written with a, a lot of interviews with him and things like that. But so did he not reveal what had happened to him? I don't think so. I think like. And what reason would that be? I think they, they it, sworn it, to secrecy. Uh, well, secrecy or maybe even well. just sort of like the the mystery of it. To be fair, that it added to the story a little bit and oh, things okay. like that was, um, but there's. You know, there's there's so many different things. I mean, one of one of the um, another uh, good story with 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 Zatopek was, um, I'm gonna mess up which Olympian it was now, because um, I want to say it was Jim Ryan, and, and I know 100% that it wasn't. Um, it was the it was Australian um, athlete. Um, Herb Elliott. No, no, no. I keep wanting to say it's, it was Jim Ryan, but it, it definitely wasn't Jim Ryan because Jim Ryan was a, was American. Um, but anyway, um, he was he was the he was the world record holder. He'd broken. This is you know, um, had retired from from competition and things like that, um, and he was the new. This guy was the, the new sort of face of five thousand, ten thousand, broke the world records, everything like that, um, and it was. Um, but he, he hadn't won a major championship medal. Um, he never he hadn't won one, and he went to. Um, he went to Mexico, where he was, he was meant to be the favourite again, and um, he obviously at altitude and everything like that, he collapsed and, and he, he didn't 
he didn't win. Uh, he, he finished the race actually, but he, he, he obviously didn't medal and things like that, and, and collapsed afterwards, afterwards and was rushed off uh, to hospital and things. Anyway, he visited uh, Zatopek at a, a later stage, and um, Zatopek was, you know, thought the world of this guy. He thought he was, you know, a brilliant runner, and he was, he was so sort of, you know, sorry for him that he'd never achieved that that pinnacle of, you know, an Olympic gold medal and things like that. He'd had all these world records, but he, he'd never got that that world record and uh, that Olympic medal, sorry. And um, as the as he left at the airport, Zatopek handed him a package. And he told him, "Don't you know? Don't open it now. Open it when you, when you get back uh, to Australia and things like that." Um, anyway, he was flying to uh, to London first before he went back to Australia, um, from the from the Czech Republic. And he, um, he opened it in London, and he was worried because he thought it was some sort of you know special. Uh, some sort of you know, at the time that the Cold War era was setting in, and he thought it was something that Zatopek had given him. Ron like Clark. Message. Ron Clark. That's the one. There you go. There you go. Thanks for looking that up for me, there, John Joe. And uh, in a book, in a book. I've, in a book. I've just I've read about it in in Amby Burfoot's book. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, and I, I recalled it. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, he so um, he opens this up thinking it's some sort of secret message that Zatopek's given him to you know pass on to you know some sort of officials and government and things like that you know spying for them and things like that. Um, and it was a risky thing for Zatopek to do to give him this package because it could have been seen as something like that from those higher up in, in the um, the USSR and things. Mm. But um, when, when he opened it, when Ron Clark opened the package, what it was, was it was an Olympic, it was one of Zatopek's uh, Olympic gold medals from where he, he when he, he, he won gold in all those three races. And um, with it, with a note that sort of said, you know, you, you deserved, you, you deserve one of these. Um, and it was an Olympic gold medal. Yeah. I passed it to him and, you know that was, um, you know, a big act uh, of sort of kindness and friendship and things that, um, between the two of them. But also, you know, um, just a really nice thing to sort of to do and things. Emil would be long past now, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think uh, Dana passed um, not that long ago. But it was really? they were both they had the, they were both born on the same day, um, oh. and it was their birthday. I think it was like last week or something like that. Um, I remember seeing it uh, pop up on 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 new sites, well, be, running they, new they sites could, and things. Huh? They'd be about a hundred now. Yeah, they? something like that, probably. Uh, yeah. Um, mm. But the old house that they uh, they lived in, uh, that Zatopek built, is still standing, um, or it was last time. Have uh, you been one there? Of the books was published. No, no, I've, I've never been to. Uh, it's just outside Prague. Um, I've never been to Prague. It's one of those places I'd like I've, to go. I've been to Prague, yeah, because um, yeah. of the history of, of Zatopek. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I think we'll we'll leave it there, and um, with that story of, of one of of my, I think I think the greatest distance runner of all time, um, but at least one of the greatest distance runners of all time. So, um, we hope you enjoyed that we hope um you know if you've got some comments to john joe on this uh this end of season break that he's taken and putting his feet up for a bit when he's not really uh, raced or anything this season uh you know don't forget to send them to us <laughs> and uh but thanks for listening guys and uh, always a pleasure we'll catch you next time